1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's
1: time to get to work. Adam, we got some Aaron Rodgers news, I guess news in quotations from Cecil Lamy with 104.3 The Fan, and his story on Monday. And I think it's very interesting in some of the things that he says.
0: Yeah, um, it it sort of centers around all the opt-out stuff, which I like. I think that that's kind of an interesting conversation here. I'll let you kind of lay it out, lay out the groundwork, and and
1: then I'll I'll, I'll be uh, negative Nelly on it. So he says that an opt-out is unlikely, and I'm in total agreement with that. Uh, We're talking about opt-out due to COVID reasons for the 2021 season. And the reason Cecil, friend of the show, and and you and me and basically everyone else thinks that that's not going to happen is because that means he's done. If he opts out, he can't play in 2021. That means he can't get traded. That means he can't do anything. So he's not opting out. That's not Aaron Rodgers. He loves football. He doesn't love playing for the Packers. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Cecil says this. This is a situation that is going to take more patience. I still believe that Rodgers will be traded, and I think the Broncos are his most likely destination. However, the earliest I think something could be done is the middle of August. I believe the Packers will offer him a contract that makes him the highest paid quarterback in the league in terms of annual average salary. The Packers did make him an offer earlier, but that was more of an extension and not a new contract with guaranteed money. They essentially tried to move some money around in his current deal, and Rogers saw right through that effort. After the new contract is offered, it's on Rogers to say no. If, when, that happens, I feel the Packers will crack and look to finally trade him. It's on the Broncos to keep calling and make sure to have a deal ready to go so there is no hesitation or going back on the Packers' part. Rodgers is not going to is not going to opt out but the dream of him playing for the Broncos is not dead. And this is where pessimist Adam comes into play. It's dead. It's totally
0: dead. It's let me rephrase. I'm not going to be overly pessimistic and I am uh, I, I'm not uh, necessarily Debbie Downer forever, but I do get the impression here that uh, it's dead for this year. I, I understand the idea of, of, you know, eventually the Packers having to cave uh, and, and trade Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I, I totally understand that. I also get the idea that he's not going to, he's not going to walk away from football for a year, uh, which would essentially push his contract back a year just because he, he wants to spite uh, the Packers because he does love football and he wants to play. But I do believe uh, that he is willing to sit out the entire season if that's what it takes. The Packers probably in there, and I know, I know you say this is a Packers take, and it makes sense that it is, but it's the way I would do it if I was running, if I was gutenkunst, which I'm not, this is how I would run the organization here. I would say, fine, you don't want to play, don't play. We're going to fine you. uh, And you can sit out the year and we'll trade you at the end of next year. After we know which teams we're going to be able to get the best first round picks from. Because you're only going to get that glorified second round pick if you trade him now. Knowing that if you you trade him to the Broncos, they're going to give you a first round pick, but it's going to be like the 28 through 32nd pick why does it matter if if whoever you trade him to you're not getting anything better than a glorified second round pick if you wait the whole season and you say we'll trade him after you go what is it three and we'll call it three and 14 or uh you know five and 12 because I got to add to 17 now instead of 16 which is ridiculous I spent my whole life figuring out how to add up to 16 and now I got to figure out how to add that one more and I don't like it it's got me all messed up and I also don't think that the Packers are going to want to have to add up to 17 either. So they're going to wait. They're going to wait and figure out who's going to have the best first round pick after this season. So after 2021. And so it's it's negative if you look at it from the perspective of you want the Denver Broncos to trade for Aaron Rodgers so that he can come in and save the franchise in 2021 and lead them to the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl, which I believe he makes them an instant Super Bowl contender. But if you're a, 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 the manager of the Packers or if you're someone who is in charge of putting together a team for the Packers, you have to be as smart as I am. I'm not, an, I, I'm not super smart, and they're not idiots. At least, well, I mean, they're kind of idiots if they couldn't make Aaron Rodgers happy, and maybe that's your saving grace.
1: It, I, can't be... and Mark Murphy can't keep his foot out of his mouth.
0: Exactly. But at that point, who cares what he has? To... I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm Gutenkunst or whoever, I don't care what Mark Murphy has to say, and I'm not going to worry about that. What I am going to worry about is how can I maximize what I'm going to get out of Aaron Rodgers and selling him now. In other words, selling that stock now for a first round pick, probably two first round picks, maybe a a couple of mid round picks and a player, I don't know, whatever the package might be, isn't as enticing to me as letting him sit or even letting him play. Go ahead, come and play and, and win the MVP again. I don't care. I'm still going to wait to trade you because now I can maximize what I get out of you. Cause I know I'm going to get a first round pick that's in the top five or top seven versus the top 32, which is not as good. It just isn't. So I'm not being negative and saying it'll never happen. I think Denver is his preferred destination. I don't think one more season of bad quarterback play in Denver and a terrible team, terrible offense with a good defense will change that because the team will essentially be the same in 2022. The only difference will be how old Aaron Rodgers is, which might make it less enticing for the Broncos. How much do you want to invest in a guy
1: that you're probably only going to get for three or four years at this point? The problem with your scenario, and I have mentioned this on previous podcasts, is that's dreamland for the Green Bay Packers. If they think they're going to be able to hold out for a better draft pick, they're crazy because there's two things at play here. You have a a locker room that could split you're going to have veteran players who aren't going to want to deal with this. They're going to either want Aaron Rodgers to show up or they're going to want the Packers to move on because they are not going to want to have to ask or answer every single question that is going to be asked about Aaron Rodgers because that is going to happen. He's not going to show up. He is not going to show up for training camp and he's not going to play for the Packers again. The other scenario in this is when Aaron Rodgers finally makes a statement. He hasn't made any public statements yet. If he says I'm done, that's going to put the pressure on the Packers to say, "Okay, we have to move on."
0: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate on this just a little bit more here, just because I, I, I you make a good point with the idea of players starting to let's say they they start to mutiny a little bit, right? A couple of different things are going to happen there. One, if the Packers didn't care about making Aaron Rodgers happy, how much can they really care about making Devontae Adams happy? You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a certain amount of if, – if we're not going to do everything we can to make a franchise quarterback who is winning MVPs and is the reason that we are a Super Bowl contender every year, if we're not going to put in the effort to make him happy, then what do we care about what Devontae Adams thinks? What do we care about what anybody thinks? Because that seems to be their attitude. If you can't make your franchise quarterback happy – you're not going to worry about making sure that that Devonte Adams is pleased with the person who's throwing him the football. So I kind of feel like I kind of, I kind of feel like that's not a scenario that, that while it would affect the players and I can see the players being upset about it. I don't think that affects management because management already has shown that they don't care because if they cared, Aaron Rodgers would be the highest paid player in the NFL. They wouldn't have cut the receiver who he said he really liked. They would have drafted a wide receiver or a tight end in the first round instead of Jordan love. There's, so many things that they would have done to prove that they cared what their players thought, and
1: they've done almost none of it. And the thing is, it's all about the drafting of Jordan Love. It's not about the pay. It's not about the contract. He could get that. That's what the Packers are going to offer him. It's about the fact that they didn't tell him that they were going to Brett Favre him. It's legitimately the exact same model of what they did when they drafted him and they had Brett Favre and they thought it was going to play out the exact same way. Only Aaron Rodgers went through it and he wants no part of it. So I I think with that, it's not about how they treat the players because, I mean, everyone, all 32 teams do this. But I think it is about they do know that they have a team that can compete, whether or not Jordan Love is – I mean, obviously, he's not on the same level as Aaron Rodgers. Little, well, we don't they're, know, right? I guess we didn't. A, well, Rodgers. he's not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Let's just say. But he's they not still Aaron. have a team that was in the NFC Championship game last year, so they're going to know. Yeah, we we want to win, and we have the chance to do it. We we have to appease the players. So I do think that that's where that comes in because they know the season's on the line, and you're going to have fans back in the stands. And there's going to be this massive distraction.
0: I just think I just get the impression from the Packers that they don't care about distractions and they don't care about what their players think. And I don't know that they really care about what their fans think either. They're going to run their organization the way they're going to run their organization, even though there's 5 million shareholders or whatever of the green Bay Packers, because so many people own shares of it. it, It's still being run by people who have proven, I think even with Brett Favre, have proven that they don't care what their players think or what their players want to do. They've got a plan and they're going to follow through with it. So it'll be interesting to watch how it plays out. It really will. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope that everybody ends up caving and the Broncos are able to trade for him and he comes in and immediately makes them a Super Bowl contender. And we're back to uh, relevancy. The, as as fans, we get to watch primetime games and and enj- enjoy winning instead of what we've been doing for the last.
1: Six seasons? Is that where we're at? Six? Is it six? Going on six. Going on six. Just I, just, I, I think well. I do think the key in this is what Aaron Rodgers does, because if he says he's done, I'm not going back to the Packers. That puts the pressure on the Packers, and any hope of them being able to hold out a year is gone. Yeah,
0: no, I, I mean, like I said, I guess, I guess we'll, I guess we shall, we shall see. We, it's going to take a while, and there's patience, like Cecil said in his in his article. It's going to be patience, right? And we've been saying it for ever since this all came up, except for on draft day when we were like, it's going to happen. Remember that? Remember that feeling? Oh, my gosh, I placed a bet on the Broncos when win the Super Bowl. I still can't cash it out for any extra money because now they're like, no, no, we want your money. This <laughs> is terrible. I won some money on a soccer game the other day, put a 50-cent bet down. And uh, I, just a quick uh, side note on that, my little brother, who we talked about uh, only betting like nickels and dimes and stuff, just wants you to know he's doing just fine with his betting. I was like, okay, I'll I'll let you know.
1: So now I've let you know, uh, and we can move on to actual Broncos conversations. I will say, before we do, I, I do agree with Cecil that I do think Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Broncos around August or so. It may happen sooner than that. It just depends on how quickly the Packers get out of denial, because I still think they're in the denial phase. He is never going to play for the Packers again. That much we do know. It's just a matter of is he traded to the Broncos this year or does he sit out? And I think he is going to get traded.
0: Yeah, so August of 2022. Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist slipping that in there. All right, so there is some Broncos news we have to discuss. Uh, and it's big news, I think, mostly because of uh, who this person is. But Demarius Thomas announced his retirement yesterday. Today, as we record on Tuesdays, so yesterday was Monday. That's when he announced it if I'm less, unless my days have run together and I'm lost, I'm a teacher and it's the summertime. So just correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, it was a big moment in Broncos country, I think because of the era that Demarius Thomas played in or the multiple eras, I guess you could say he sort of, he sort of spanned a couple of different eras. You could uh, say three, three, if you really want to get into it, obviously the, the most successful was his time with Peyton Manning as his quarterback uh, he won Super Bowl 50 with the Denver Broncos. The most impressive moment I think that everybody latches onto, And if you were on Twitter at all or any other social media site, you saw it a gajillion times. And that's the Tim Tebow to Demarius Thomas uh, playoff win in overtime throw where he takes it to the house on a throw that Tim Tebow actually completed.
1: Which in my world is just boggles the mind that he was able it to do. It still boggles the mind that Tim Tebow actually completed a pass. Because yeah. if you follow Ryan Green, who is the videographer for CBS Four, anytime agree, Tim so. Tebow is mentioned on Twitter, he whips out the practice video of Tim Tebow not being able to throw a pass.
0: I mean, it literally is not able to throw it. The ball comes out of his hand mid motion and it just tumbles in the air and it's it it's looks legitimately- like a flubbed punt. It looks like me throwing left-handed, it does and I'm right-handed. It's not great. It's not a, not a great look for a guy who was supposed to be a professional quarterback. But then the other era that DT sort of fits into is the post-Manning, uh, Lynch, current era, Simeon, uh, Case Keenum,
1: right? Just not great. I think it's all lumped together for yeah, one one sucky era.
0: This era of suck, as, as Emmanuel Sanders called it, uh a world of suck uh that's that's where he was and and he found we're still in and still in that's true but he found success even with trevor simeon uh throwing him the football not great success uh but success nonetheless and so you know i tweeted it yesterday so did you we talked about you know sort of a mile high salute to him on a great career and uh it begs the question and then you're going to see it everywhere where does he rank Uh, among wide receivers of his era where does he rank among wide receivers period
1: Uh, where does he rank among wide receivers of the Denver Broncos and and I think it's a, a fun conversation to have he is one of the greatest receivers in Broncos history he's one of the greatest Broncos in history I I think obviously in terms of statistics it's Rod Smith then it's Demarius Thomas I mean he's going to be in the Broncos ring of fame now where you rank him in terms of All time receivers, and there are some great receivers in Broncos history. You obviously have Rod Smith, Shannon Sharp, though he's a tight end, Riley Odoms, who should be in the Broncos ring of fame and is not, was a tight end. You have Haven Moses, Lionel Taylor, Ed McCaffrey, Steve Watson. So there are some great receivers in Broncos history, and I think he is in the conversation. He's at least in the top three, in my opinion.
0: Oh, absolutely. I would say when you have the conversation, it's Rod Smith, Demarius Thomas and probably Haven Moses, just to just to keep it in uh, the realm of wide receivers. You, you know, Watson is, is kind of in there as well. Uh, but those three guys, to me, uh, were the main wide receivers for three very successful teams for the Denver Broncos. And uh, Rod Smith had Ed McCaffrey with him. So you, you kind of you, you had that the, that twofer there. Demarius Thomas had Emmanuel Sanders. I don't know who Haven Moses had, to be honest. It was Haven Moses and Haven Moses, and then it was also Haven Moses. So uh, he gets kind of a leg up to me, and even though I never really got to see him play. In fact, I never got to see him play uh, because he was from an older generation. I know just because of that era of football, the things that he did as a wide receiver were pretty impressive. Uh, when you're talking about a guy who uh, I just read an article on him today because I was looking at some other stuff. 18 yards a, a catch was his average at a time when receivers didn't do that. And, but, and teams ran the ball 60% of the time. And his quarterbacks were, I think, uh, a kid that was working at the grocery store uh, and his grandmother. And, then, you know, I mean, just like the, the list of quarterbacks for Haven Moses is almost as bad as the list of quarterbacks for Demarius Thomas in this, in this world of suck that we're living in. Yeah, post-Manning. Post-Manning, right. So he gets Manning, so he, he does, that doesn't count. And Rod Smith had Elway, so, uh, you know. Well, Craig, Mort- actually, Craig Morton was, was Haven Moses' best quarterback. I'll just say it.
1: That was his best quarterback. Yikes. Well, and, and actually, what I'll do, and it'll probably piss off some listeners who are still in the cult of Tebow, I would lump Tim Tebow in with that era of suck. Ooh. Tim Tebow won a playoff game. So people were like, Ooh, bookends. You, you did bookends there with that. I did. Everything I around
0: it. Manning was, was terrible, but the Manning time was pretty good. I like it. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think that it's important that we note Demarius Thomas, great Bronco, right. Went through some, some stuff with people always being mad at him for dropping the ball when his drop rate was actually not as bad as Rod Smith's, but I don't want to get into that because I don't really care. Uh, great, great guy. Uh, Pat Boland Bronco. I think that's the the thing that when we look at Denver Broncos and the, Denver, the history of the Broncos, especially the Broncos from 83, 84 on, it's what type of person were they? Because that was important to Pat Bowlin. And Demarius Thomas was a Pat Boland Bronco and still is a Pat Boland Bronco. I'm glad he, uh, when he retired, he he came home, right? That's
1: always kind of a nice thing. He came home and retired as a Denver Bronco and that's that's the way it should be. We've talked about this on this podcast. I believe we even talked about it with Ryan Edwards and Andrew Mason, how he is the most underappreciated Bronco in the franchise's history. I don't think there's any debate about that because he got a lot of flack. Even Just Place, who's an MHR staff member, was one of them. He got blocked on Twitter by Demarius Thomas. So he earned it. I I think he is. He just whether it was fair, I I don't think it was fair. I I don't, I I, I didn't like it. I don't like the way that he was treated, but that's just what happens. That's the way the cookie crumbled, so to speak, when it comes to Demarius Thomas's time in Denver, but it it doesn't take away how good he was and what he did to this team. And yes, he had Peyton Manning, but he still had Tim Tebow And then he had Brock Osweiler and Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch and Case Keenum or Case Keesum. Casey Keesum?
0: Yeah, Case Keenum in the top 40. Casey's top 40. (laughs) That was an old reference. I wonder who's going to
1: catch that one. So I'm appreciative and thankful for what Demarius Thomas brought to the Denver Broncos. And someone mentioned this on social media to me. It was one of the few things that Josh McDaniels got right.
0: Yeah, it was a first round pick for Josh McDaniels. I mean, I think it was
1: right first round pick, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I mean, same draft as Tim Tebow that he traded back up into the first round to get Tim Tebow.
0: It was like he did so well, right? You, you aced the test and then also you wrote, like, screw you, Mr. So and so on your test and handed it into the teacher. So you got an A and then you still got suspended from school congratulations <laughs> that's what had happened there so yeah congratulations to Demarius Thomas um I, I may go back to my my uh fantasy football name of Demarius Targaryen uh one more one more season just because it was uh it w- it will be a nice uh, nice little homage to the man who really actually probably won me a few fantasy football matchups in, in his day as well so there is that um Let's go ahead and take a break. We haven't done this in a long time. We're going to do a little break here. We're going to take a little break, uh, and then we're going to come back. There's this uh, fun thing going around on Twitter recently and and in social media. uh, Greatest plays in Broncos history. I have a huge list, uh, probably too big, and I think, Ian, you also have a pretty huge list. I
1: do.
0: All right, Ian. So we're back, and uh, kind of a fortuitous moment, uh, we are going to jump into talking about the greatest plays in Broncos history. And one of the things that I noticed as I was going through, kind of creating a list, it's a big list. It's, it's. I don't think I could do just ten. I, I mean, like you have people, in the top ten moments. I don't know how that works. Um, but one that we're we're going to talk about that you brought up that I forgot is actually one that fits really well with today's show. So I will give you the floor on all
1: that. It was Peyton Manning's first touchdown as a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And it came in his first game as the quarterback for the Broncos on September 10th, 2012 at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was a 71-yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. And what I didn't remember about this play is it didn't happen until the third quarter.
0: Yeah. I, here's what I do remember about that first game. And and I'll be completely honest. I don't remember a lot of it, uh, because it was nine years ago now and I'm old and my brain doesn't work as well as I'd like. Uh, and also, uh, I remember feeling like why is this taking so long? What is, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, we, we, right. I think I can say collectively we as Broncos country were pretty stoked and it was all supposed to just happen immediately and it didn't. And it took until, like you said, until over halfway through the game before finally Peyton Manning throws his first touchdown pass and he throws it to the guy who, I guess, did he catch the last touchdown pass? I don't remember anybody catching a touchdown pass against New England in the playoff game before that Tim Tebow Sucked in, so (laughs) I'm going to say probably caught the the last one of the Tim Tebow era, and then the first one. I feel confident in saying that. I don't even know if it's true, and then also caught the first one in the Peyton Manning era. Demarius Thomas,
1: and to to keep the Peyton the PFM plays rolling, I actually have the touchdown that he threw to Julius Thomas that broke the single season record in Houston, and. You had a great point, like that's more of a Peyton play than a Broncos play, but the thing that stands out about that is obviously the season in which it was going on, the fact that we saw the greatest offense in the history of football that year, but also because Pat Bolin was on the sideline. I think that's one of the reasons that play stands out was because it was one of the the few remaining times that we actually saw Pat Bolin on the sideline for a Broncos play and something that was so historic and monumental for the NFL and for the Broncos is why I include that play of Peyton throwing that beautiful touchdown pass to Julius Thomas and that shellacking of the Texans. It was a fun game to watch. I, I mean, that, that's, that whole
0: season was phenomenal. And I think the one thing that does help that remain as a Broncos play, I, you, you talked about Pat Bowen and I agree with that, but also, the way that Peyton Manning has embraced being a Denver Bronco. Uh, I, I don't I cannot speak from experience. I don't live in Indianapolis obviously, but I don't feel like he's doing as much with the Colts as he does with the Broncos. Uh, he's, he's not doing schedule releases for the Colts. He's not, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like he's not showing up and, and doing a lot of stuff at their training camp. And he is not a, a big part of that organization in his retirement. Whereas, yes, he lives in Denver or outside of Denver. Uh, yes, he, is, you know, he has made Colorado his home, so it's easier for him to interact with the Broncos. But he goes to Nuggets games. Yeah, He goes to Avs games. He's a, he's a part of the Denver sports world, even in retirement. And so I think pretty much anything that you talk about with Peyton Manning becomes a Peyton Manning moment. But also because of his connection to the community – and the fact that he has adopted Denver as his home and the Broncos and Broncos country and the people of Colorado have said, yeah, he's one of ours. Now those kind of go hand in hand. So pretty much anything he does is a Broncos thing at this point, which is why I'm, I'm, that's another reason why I'm okay with that play being a part of it.
1: I'll add, I'll add a lot of third Peyton play. So we'll, let's go for the PFM hat trick. Sure. three four. It, it was in the week 17 game in the final game of the 2015 regular season against the Chargers. And Peyton Manning comes back onto the field. Because I I have said this on the radio, I have said it on our podcast, the Broncos do not win Super Bowl 50. They do not go on that magical playoff run if Peyton Manning is not the quarterback. And Absolutely. The fact, that he, the fact that he came back in and got that standing ovation, it was kind of like I think everyone knew that it was his last hurrah or his last ride, so to speak. So it was kind of like, a, yeah, let's give him a round of applause because this is going to be his last ride.
0: Yeah, this is, this is over after this, and so let's make sure he hears it. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge moment uh, in, in the history of, of Broncos country and a, and a big moment for Peyton Manning, and, and it was. It was sort of the start of that run. And I know, like, we go back, and I'll kind of I'll jump into it here. I, I listed uh, on my list of 140 things, apparently. I listed C.J. Anderson's touchdown run against New England uh, that won that game. When Brock Osweiler was, was leading that team, and I'm not going to say he was the reason that they won, but he was never the reason they lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he, without Brock Osweiler that season, they probably don't make it to the playoffs, maybe, because of how well he did in kind of guiding the ship and then that CJ Anderson run to win that game it, in the snow it was it, that was one of those moments that it gives you chills thinking about it and it it was another moment in that season that was a magical season that it stands out
1: in my mind as a, as a a reason that they were able to make that run you had another play from that season that I think is 100% on the list Bradley Roby Fumble
0: recovery, return for a touchdown uh, against the Chiefs. Now, that this, I'll, I'll say it so you don't have to. It's the last time that the Denver Broncos beat the Chiefs. Boys, that is
1: incredible. I just – it kind of makes I mean, the isn't, – Isn't that incredible? Does that it that's make that last play – Yeah, time it, it is. The Broncos beat the Chiefs? Does it make that play,
0: as of right now, a little less enjoyable because you know <laughs> – like you know, when so you talk sour. about it, you have to also mention that oh, the last time we beat them, and if after two years it was like okay, but now we're like six years on. I'm going, oh, it's the last time we beat him. It's been several games. <laughs> it's not good. So yeah, I, I like that play, but every time I talk about it now, it makes me want to vomit just a little bit.
1: I'll add a, another play from that year before okay. we move on to the historic plays. Sure, the demer the the Demarcus Ware sack against the Cincinnati Bengals that allowed them to, to qualify for the playoffs and keep hope alive for the number one seed through the playoffs. That was huge. AJ McCarron fumbles the snap,
0: but he fumbles it because, because Ware was on top of him before the ball got to him. That play was one where you could see you saw a quarterback crumble from the time it took the ball to be snapped between the center's legs to the time that the ball hit the quarterback's hands. And then DeMarcus Ware was was like there. And you were like, whoa, my poor, – poor A.J. McCarron had no idea what was going on. He, he How could he know? Yeah, he, there's no way he could have known. He, he still got, doesn't know. He's, he's still trying to figure out what happened. And then people want, thought he was going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't get that. I don't know where that came from. But but it worked out for the Broncos for sure.
1: Absolutely. All right. Do we want to get his How far back do you want to go to start? Do We want to go back to the beginning. Well,
0: it's like in the sound of music, it's a very good place to start, I suppose, but I, I guess we have to figure out there's a difference between greatest plays in Broncos history, which is, you know, the full span of the franchise's lifetime versus the greatest plays you ever saw or the greatest plays you can remember, because We didn't experience some of the things that definitely belong on this list because I was born in 1980, for example. So anything pre-83, 84, I'm not going to remember it at all. There's no chance.
1: Well, and we also have to keep in mind the Broncos weren't relevant until the 1977 season. So anything prior to 1977, you either have to talk to your old man or my mom (laughs) because they're the only ones who would know anything because – they, they weren't they relevant. Were yeah, they, they were, were around. They, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's got to be some Floyd Little runs. Oh, I'm sure. Over the course of his career, obviously, he is the franchise. Well,
0: you um, know, I will say this. I feel like my old man tells a story about Tombstone Jackson winning a game for the Broncos before the Orange Crush stuff, where uh, he essentially just destroyed – and I don't know who they were playing. In fact, he's going to have to – I'll ask him the story. I should ask him – before we recorded but i didn't think of it but apparently tombstone jackson who deserves some hall of fame consideration in my opinion absolutely um, he essentially won games for those broncos teams because of how good he was so i'm sure they have a moment i'd love to you know if somebody wants to tweet him at us you know somebody who knows because we don't he's one of those players that i'm sure has some legendary moments as well
1: I think the play that stands out for all of us, and it's really not even a play. It was something that happened after a game in the 1977 season. And it led to a a Broncos blog being created and having its name is it's all over fat man. Yeah. Tom Jackson
0: running up to John Madden during the during the season. I think it's important to note, right? The legend is that he said it during the AFC championship game. That is not true. Uh, This was said during the regular season, ran up to, uh, John Madden and said, it's over fat man, because they were, they were finally getting over that, that sort of mountain that they had been climbing, which was the Oakland Raiders. Uh, that was a team that they couldn't get past as, as a franchise. The Broncos uh, were sort of constantly fighting with big brother there on that. Right. They couldn't uh, big brother who probably should have been in jail for 40 years. Uh,
1: I hate the Raiders. <laughs> I just do. Uh, but that was a big moment. That brings up a great point. Like a lot of people will say that it's not a rivalry. Like the, some of the some of the newer Broncos fans will say that there isn't a rivalry with the Recency Raiders. Recency bias. Either, yeah. It's either the Chiefs or the Patriots. And I am I will never buy into that because I will always hate the Raiders. And nothing will ever change that, no matter where they play or the horrible haircut that their owner has. Just don't get that. You got jillions of dollars, man. Figure out your hair. Just figure just, it out. Figure it out.
0: To be fair, I think he's trolling all of us. To be fair. To be fair. A little letter Kenny fun there. I like that. So then if you're talking about the 77 season and you want to start talking about that actual AFC championship game, play that I brought up that wasn't on my list that I found in an article today on Twitter is Haven Moses. And there's two plays from Haven Moses talking talking about uh, wide receivers in Broncos history. He makes a 74-yard touchdown catch in that AFC championship game to open the scoring. Huge moment. And then he also makes a diving catch in the end zone to keep the Broncos up up. I to me that's those have to be huge moments as well, especially in an era when it was the defense that essentially carried them, but Haven Moses was still there to to make big things happen. And we're going to fast
1: forward a little bit. We and do need to. I, I so you have the touchdown pass on the drive that John Elway threw to Mark Jackson. And that stands out in the mind, right? Obviously that's on the list, but I think you could probably put like three or four plays from that drive. Absolutely. Onto this list. Cause the thing that, that, uh, that pops into my head is Steve Watson running in motion and the snap almost hitting him in the hip. It does. If hit. That happens. If, if John Elway doesn't have control of that or it bounces off Steve Watson in a way that doesn't go directly to Elway. The drive doesn't happen. Yeah, it's over.
0: It ends right then and there because it does hit him. Uh, it just barely grazes him, but it hits him, and that changes everything. If it's a split second earlier, you're the, the game is over at that point. And we don't even, we're not even talking about it, and it's uh, so yeah. That's a that's that is a big moment. I, it's funny as I'm so like I'll just I'm gonna hold up the list here real quick. That's the list I came up with. It's huge. It's a huge list, and it's one where I mean I could go down the whole thing. But if you want to keep going with the '80s, you had the drive, you had the drive two, you had the fumble. The fumble was actually a huge play, uh, and in an it, era when it should have included eight. Elway, it
1: didn't. And in terms of the drive two, it's that fourth down completion.
0: Yes, that, I think that's is that what I said on there. Drive two, fourth down conversion. That's what I wrote. So, I, and which one? Because I think were there weren't there two.
1: I think or, there were two on the drive. I don't remember if there were two or not on the drive. too. i I'm sure someone will. I,
0: I think the one on the drive two was the one that was like a thousand yards. They had to go yeah, around like the like earth a couple it, times.
1: And it wasn't wasn't it a completion to Mark Jackson? Along I believe the, it was the east sideline. Oh, the east sideline! Look at you and your
0: directions, fancy. <laughs> I don't know directions unless I can unless I can see the sun. I have no no idea. What direction anything is, so don't ask me. It's it's uh, it's not fun. Uh, I've got Atwater uh, hit on a that still stands 100%. out to me. But
1: That's the one other of the one, best plays in NFL history.
0: I'm gonna sort of fast forward because I want to stay with Atwater here on this. The other one that I don't think gets enough credit for Atwater, and I'm gonna talk about Super Bowl 32, and everybody's gonna say, "Oh yeah, when he when he knocked everybody out." No, it's the strip sack on Brett Favre that set the tone. If it's not for Terrell Davis and how great he played in that game. Steve Atwater is the MVP of Super Bowl 32. Without yes. question, he was the best defensive player on the field that day. He, he was the wanted best that.
1: on the field. You
0: could make that I mean, you could make that argument. He wanted that. And that strip sack was one that that Packers team was good. And he was able to really uh, make some big plays. And I was that that to me is one that has to be talked about as one of the top 10 if you're going to rank them because of how important it was at that point in time in that game uh, it gets forgotten. And I'm,
1: I'm always sort of shocked that people don't talk about that. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. Another one. I, I have one from the the divisional game in okay. that, in that playoff run, it was the fourth down that Elvis Gerback and fittingly Steve Atwater was around that play too. Exactly. Cause the ball gets knocked down in the end zone and the Broncos end up beating the chiefs to go to Pittsburgh.
0: Uh, yeah. On their, their road, Right, They're on the road all the way, definitely. I got one from that AFC Championship game. Uh, that was a that was a fun game. But the third down conversion, it was third and six. The Broncos needed to pick up this third down or else they were going to have to punt. And the and the Steelers were going to have a chance to uh, take the lead. And Elway hits Shannon Sharp for, I think it was like 18 yards mm-hmm. uh, to, to convert on third down. And then they had to pick up another first down to be able to run the clock out. But they were no longer backed up against the end zone. They had some space to move, and eventually uh, you have that. And another play from that one that I think is great is Howard Griffith's touchdown catch and run. One-handed, left-handed turnaround on sprint right option, and he takes it into the house. I mean, that was was a great play as well. But the third down conversion was huge.
1: From earlier that season, I think it was that season. It may have been the next season. I'm conflating the two. You'll probably help me with this. But Darian Gordon had two punt returns for touchdowns against the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, I don't remember
0: if that was. I think that might have been the next season. It probably is. I think that was the next year. But that was just, those were two great years, right? Weren't those we can, just two of the best years? Two. Sure, that's fine. Those were two great years to be Bronco fans. Could we go back to that? That was fantastic. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, let me see here. What else do I got on my list? Um, do we want to jump ahead a little bit? This one's not really a play, but it is a moment when the Broncos and the, and the Rams played in 2001 in the very first game of the season, they opened the season together and the Broncos won. I think it was, they scored like a thousand points and whoever had the ball last won. And I think Brian Greasy and Kurt Warner were battling each other and, and, but I think Brian Greasy won that battle. Somebody correct me on that. I feel like I'm changing things. That was that was a big moment, but not necessarily a play. I just wanted to bring it up. I was trying to find something well, post-Elway just so that we can talk about something. Well, we can't. It's fine.
1: Let's go back to Elway. And obviously there's the touchdown pass to Rod Smith in Super Bowl 33. That's one of the Huge. great, because that let everyone know because it was a close game up to that point, and when that completion was made, everyone knew the game was over. And then there's another play from earlier that year, and it was the final game of the season, and Terrell Davis was going for 2,000 yards, and he's eight yards away, and he gets it. That's a play that I still get goosebumps because the whole crowd went nuts. Everyone wanted him to have to, to get it, and he got it.
0: All right. I, it was gorgeous, too. Before we get into because there's some Super Bowl ones we have to talk about. Super Bowl 32, we missed a couple. Super Bowl 33, we probably have one more to discuss. Uh, we got to talk about Super Bowl 50. We don't have to talk about Super Bowl 48 because that wasn't fun. Uh, but before we get to that, we talked a little bit about uh, some other plays. How about Champ Bailey's interception of Tom Brady and then his chugging along <laughs> to try and score there? That was a huge moment as well. That was a big play, one that uh, if you're a new England fan, why are you listening to this podcast? But also you probably would argue that he fumbled it out of the back of the end zone and it should have been uh Tampa baseball on the 20 or whatever. I don't care. Uh, huge moment. Yeah. Huge, huge moment, huge moment uh, for, for the Denver Broncos and for champ Bailey as well, who
1: uh, is one of the greatest players in Broncos history. I think that I would throw out, There's two record-breaking field goals, and I'm actually going to put field goals on this list. See, I said I
0: didn't care about field goals, but all right.
1: Jason Elam tying the record of 63, and then Matt Prater breaking the record, at least at the moment, or until Sebastian Janikowski, um, the fat drunk kicker from the Raiders. Matt Prater hitting the 64-yard field goal. Yeah, that was a good one. I I agree. There was that
0: one. Did we talk about uh, uh, Al Wilson yet? I can't remember. We did not. Oh, let me let's bring up Al Wilson, who is still they still can't find a replacement for him and is still one of my favorites. Al Wilson on fourth and one against the Raiders on Monday Night Football, uh, a run right up the middle, and it was just the play just stopped as soon as Al Al Wilson put his head into it. it just I don't remember who the running back was. I, I I don't think it. I don't think the running back remembers who the running back was, but Al Wilson said. This is over our ball. And just, he went three, he went, it was, it was Atwater on a Koye-esque, only it was also sort of Randy Gratishar stopping somebody coming over the middle. It felt like that. It was so good. And it stands out in my mind to me because I remember watching it. And I think for you, because
1: you were there. I was in the press box covering that game. And the thing that I remember about that is they lost by a point.
0: Well, you didn't have to bring that up, but I guess for, for the sake of facts and, and, and actually knowing what happened, that's fine. Uh, a couple more, Rod Smith's first catch, Hail Mary touchdown against the, the Washington, what were the Redskins at the time? They are a Washington football team now. Um, that, was a, that was a big moment, uh, obviously for him, and also sort of propels his career uh, in a way that you knew he was going to be, he was going to be special, and he ended up being
1: pretty special for the Denver Broncos. And to me, I, that's pretty much it for the plays that stand out. I mean, there's also a, there's moments in Broncos history. So I got there's a one, more. For me, there's a one there's a moment, and it's from the drive game where we see Pat Bowen clapping his hands, wearing that pimp fur oh, coat. Yeah, that fur coat was amazing. So a
0: couple we haven't mentioned yet that I'm looking at
1: helicopter. Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't mention that's it. That's the everyone, top of the that, – that's one of the that, – that, It's got to be at the that, top of the list. That and the, and the one that you're about to say are, I think are the two best in, in Broncos the, history. The Von Miller strip
0: sack on Cam Newton, the first one, that results in a touchdown uh, set the tone for that – for Super Bowl 50. Those two plays, uh, if, if you're a Bronco fan from the last forever – those are two plays that that are stamped indelibly in your mind. I mean, you can talk about, uh, you know, the the second strip sack. You can talk about John Mobley knocking the ball down. Uh, to me, th- that
1: but, that that play is included in that. Yeah, absolutely. That that's what led to them mm-hmm. winning. The, that's when everyone knew they won the game. So they, those th- three was plays, the Official, right? Yep. Those three plays, and then to hear Dave Logan, I, I still get chills thinking about Dave Logan's call. From that John Mobley play, because oh baby, they're going to win this thing. He grew up a Broncos fan. He was a Broncos fan in he the played. 60s. He played for the Broncos, so that was literally every every Broncos fan, past, present, future. That, that play is a huge. One that call. So it was not just the play, but it was the call from Dave Logan.
0: Now, I'd love to talk to him about that and, and ask him, was that something you had? Because, you know, when you talk to announcers, they talk about not necessarily planning like what they're going to say all the time, but having some things that uh, they're going to go to if something happens. I wonder if that was just off the cuff or if he uh, if he had something in mind about what he was going to say, if it came down to a play where they were going to win it because, oh, baby, they're going to win this thing that moment, you're right, when when John Mobley knocks that down, that is the moment that you know the Denver Broncos are finally Super Bowl champions, that John Elway finally got his Super Bowl and that as collectively as Bronco fans of that time period, we could all exhale and nothing <laughs> nothing else mattered for the next five years. It was, like, it was it was one of those moments. So I, I would love to talk to him about that. But those are, Uh, those are huge plays still though. The helicopter to me is the one that stands out because it was the moment that I think the team knew that they were going to go on and win. They knew they were going to do everything they had to do because John Elway was doing everything he could do. They knew that that's what was going to happen there. So that to me is the one that stands out. And then the Von Miller strip sack, because that, that was the tone setter for a game that if they don't win that Peyton Manning's career doesn't end the way it's supposed to. So Von Miller did it for him. What I, what a fun little trip down memory lane uh, and how crazy that we weren't able to mention anything over the last six years.
1: Although we are about to because Aaron Rodgers is going to be the next quarterback of the Broncos. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.